Good morning, everybody. We're talking about opposing systems of thought today, so I thought that might be good. And we've talked about the idea of cosmos over the last couple of weeks, that the world or the world system of thinking has influence, um, like a cat, the lies and the the half-truths it tells us to get us off track. And we've been talking about ways that we can stand against the world system and be true to the wisdom and the truth of God to basically to fight it. It's spiritual warfare, and we can do better. So we're going to continue that progression today. Uh, to get us started off, I saw something this week that amused me um, in terms of different systems of thought that sometimes can get confused. And, and basically the setup was, I'll not name names, but it was a famous American speaker that people were saying, you know what, sometimes I have trouble telling what the difference between what this guy says and a fortune cookie. <laughs> so the internet spun up a little quiz for us. Famous American speaker or fortune cookie. So let's, uh, let's go with the first. The first question is, let's see, put it up on the big board. So t- tell me what you think. By show of hands, do you think this is a fortune cookie? Happiness is not the absence of conflict, but the ability to cope with it. How many people think that's a fortune cookie? I got a couple of fortune cookies. How many people think that's a famous speaker? Famous speaker. Nope, that's a fortune cookie, kids. <laughs> okay, fortune cookie. All right. Yes, it's, it's really good when we can't tell the difference between those two things. So let's go to the next one. So avoid focusing on the negative aspects of the past. How many people think that's a famous American speaker? Anybody? One person, two, no, got a couple. Uh, how many people think that's a fortune cookie? Yep, that is also a fortune cookie. All right, so one more. True greatness is not how bright you shine, but how bright you make others shine. Fortune cookie, anybody? Famous American speaker. Yeah, that's a, that's a famous American speaker. All right, so let's up the ante a little bit. Let's try the surge versus, the statements that have actually been uttered at the surge versus a fortune cookie. So let's start with this one. Um, fig leaf underpants will make your crotch itchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Dwayne actually threw this out last week. And uh, you know what? When he said that, I didn't believe it. I'm like, no, there's no, no, no way. There's no way. So we actually did some independent testing this week and 100% true. It's 100% true, folks. I tell you, it's like, it's not a fortune cookie. That's the surge. All right, let's try one more. Um, God is not dumber than Oprah Winfrey. How many people think that's the surge? Yeah, a few people. The fortune cookie? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's also the surge. How about this one? This one's from a, oh, the Wayback Machine. Do you think Marilyn Monroe is beautiful? Not anymore, right? <laughs> Dwayne, Dwayne pointed out that She's been dead for a while, and the thing that's not sweeping the streets of Paris in terms of fashion is a mottled corpse, <laughs> so it's kind of not, not as beautiful anymore. But the thing that we try to do at The Surge, and, and this is, this is the, the punchline for this, this little segment, is when we talk about the fig leaf underpants, <laughs> we can't cover our own shame, right? We try to do that ourselves, and the things that we do are temporary, and it doesn't, it doesn't work very well, and we need God to cover us. And we say that God is not dumber than Oprah Winfrey. People throw out theological questions as a dismissal to Christianity that are actually things that are pretty simple. And it turns out that the assumption is that God either doesn't exist or he's dumber than we are, right? We can ask a little question that doesn't, it doesn't befuddle the king of the universe. And when we talk about Marilyn Monroe, as beautiful as she was, it's temporary, right? We're laser focused on stuff that does not last very long. Doesn't last. And we need to focus on things that are eternal, right? Here at the surge, we won't always get it exactly right. We won't always hit the home run, but we want to be able to tell the difference between the things that our culture says, the thing that a fortune cookie says, and the wisdom of God. We read from 1 John chapter 5 earlier uh, today. Emily, thank you for doing that. It's the very last three chapters of that wonderful 
little book. And I want to pull things from that, that passage. First is this, the son of God has come. <laughs> the second is that he's given us divine understanding. And the third is that he's given us a divine experience. So let's look at the first thing, the son of God has come. It's a good Christmas touch. Um, uh, verse 18 says this, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Now we have this wonderful idea of being born of God and it's a popular phrase among Christian circles and has been for thousands of years, the idea of being born again. It's a fascinating one. Basically started um, in the gospel of John with Jesus in an encounter with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a famous teacher of his day. He was very wealthy. He was very well known. He was really smart. He was very wise. He was very respected. He came to Jesus at night and said, God is all over you. I, I, want, I want to be near you. I want, to, I want some of what you have. How do I get there from here? Would you teach me? Would you spend time with me? Could I be one of your guys? And Jesus said, stop, stop. You need to be born again. <laughs> you need to be born again. Now, the cosmos mindset that we've been talking about, what, what, what would our normal response to Nicodemus be? Oh, you need, to change your, you need to change your thinking. You need to think about it a different way. You need to be more religious or you need to be differently religious. But Jesus doesn't say that to him. He doesn't say you need a self-improvement program. He doesn't say you need to swap out this ritual for that ritual. He says you need to start over. <laughs> you need to push the reboot button completely. You need to be born again. See, Nicodemus was very religious. He was already very religious. <laughs> he, he was really religious. He already prayed. He already went to the version of church. He already knew the verses of scripture. He had religious structure in every area of his life and it wasn't enough. Not enough. You must be born again. To experience a relationship with God, to learn the deep things of God, it starts with this. There's no way around it. Being born again. It's the way. It's the central idea of connecting with God and seeing things like he sees them. Now, later in this verse where it says, he who is born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, on, on the face value, let's unpack that just for a second. It looks like it says, it looks like it says that if you're born again, then you don't sin anymore. You stop sinning. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. And the reason I say that is this, because we get this Earlier in the same book by the same author under the same Holy Spirit, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Same book, same author, same guy, right? So, so which one is it? Do we have sin, or do we, do we not keep on sinning? In, in chapter 5, the way out of that is this. It's in the errorist tense in the Greek, which literally is a continual state of things. So you could translate it this way. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on continually sinning in a continuous sort of way. And the idea is that without, without being born again, without the influence of God in our lives, we're just kind of doing what we're doing, right? And we're off track. Whenever we get back on track, it's not that we never make a mistake. It's not that we never fall short. It's not that we never mess up or say or do something stupid. But it's, we're not continually in that path. We're not continually going down the wrong thing. And that the gospel over time has a positive effect of change in our lives when our heart is oriented to where it should be. There are things that don't have the same hold on us they had before. That makes sense? Everybody okay? All right. <laughs> so the second idea is this. The, son of, the first thing is the son of God has come. He's come 
been born again so that we could be born again. The second idea is this, divine understanding. In verses 19 and 20. We know that we're from God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And this is the divine understanding part, and this is really important. I think it's a critical piece. Because I think that the mind, it talks about in Ephesians, that the mind is one of the chief battlegrounds for spiritual warfare. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That seems clear enough by watching the news and looking around. And here are a few things the world system says. The scripture says something else about. Let's just go through a couple. World system says this. All sexual expression is good, go for it. Feels good, do it, right? And in our day, in this day and age, Christianity is constantly, Christianity is constantly criticized, too many C's, for a prudish, a backwards view of human sexuality. And say what you want. Say what you want. But I'm going to stick to my guns here because if, gosh, this is such a list. Can I just say it out loud? If Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Roy Price, Charlie Rose, Matt Lauer, Al Franken, John Conyers, Glenn Thrush, and about 30 other high-profile individuals from the last eight weeks who have all made the news had taken a Christian view of sexuality, had taken the idea and said, huh, might be something to that. I'm going to try to live my life that way. Guess what? Every single one of them, all of them, all of them, without exception, would still have careers. All of them would still be respected. Every one of them. Might be something to it. Might be worth considering, right? God's system says that sex is for marriage. It says don't commit adultery. It says flee youthful lust. It says handle sexuality really carefully. Be careful with sex. Listen, God isn't afraid of sex. He invented it. It was his idea. His first command to us in the garden was go forth and multiply. And we multiplied then just like we multiply now by going and having sex, right? It's a, it's a good thing. It's his idea. It's amazing. It's creative. But it's also dangerous, and not to be taken lightly, right? So all sexual expression is good, may not be the best idea. We need to step away from the world system and look through the lens of God's understanding. It'll protect us. It'll help us. It'll protect our families. The world system says this, watch anything you want. Look at anything you want. There's nothing to it. That would include porn. That would include violence. That would include incessant language. That would make anyone outside the Washington, D.C. area blush. If you go back to Indiana, you know, and they talk like we talk here, people are like, oh, my goodness, what's wrong with you? Woo. Um, but God's system says, be careful what you see. Be careful what you participate in. Psalms 101 says, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. Ephesians 5 warns us not to participate in the sins of others. Now, looking around the room, I can say with confidence that most of us, well, maybe half of us, would probably not go on an extended killing spree with automatic weapons and knives and stuff in the name of revenge, you know, revenge, but we'll happily binge watch The Punisher on Netflix, right? Right? We'll go there, and we'll watch these things and agree with them and participate with them, and, and I'm not saying don't watch TV. I'm not. I, I'm really not, but what I am saying is this. All of us have a line. All of us have a line where we see something and go, ooh, yeah, I don't need to see that. I don't need to see that. It's not good for me. Pray about it. This is what I'm asking you to do. Pray about what you consume for entertainment. Pray about what you look at and what you let into your head, right? And say, God, is, is my line in the right place? Do I need to move it? Is there a way that I can be thoughtful and healthy about this and make good decisions there? That's what I'm asking you to do. And I certainly need to do that myself. World system says, watch anything you want. God says, be careful for what you see. The world system says, be financially 
independent. <laughs> this, is, this is funny. Pursue wealth, get yours as it were, it, it, and independently wealthy, it's a funny, it's a funny phrase, right? Because no one talks about being independently athletic or, you know, independently good-looking, you know, uh, except for maybe uh, my manly and righteous spirit. I think that might qualify as independently good-looking. I mean, let's face it, if they made a movie about my life, this beard would get its own credit. I mean, you know, am I, no one's laughing. That was really funny inside my head. Okay, we'll, we'll move on. We'll keep going. Uh, but no one's independently good-looking. It's just an odd thing. But yet we talk about being independently wealthy. So the world system says be financially independent, go for wealth, do what you need to do to amass wealth. But God's system says something else. It says work hard. It says take care of your family. Take care of your family. It says be generous in tithes and offerings and in your community. Look to give to your community. Look to give to the poor. Listen, don't declare independence in the, in the realm of wealth and money. Don't declare independence from God. Don't declare independence from your family. Don't declare independence from your friends or your community. Be a part of what's going on and invest in people's lives financially. It will pay off, I promise you. See, God gives us divine understanding. He gives us divine understanding. When we're born again, he gives us new eyes to see. He gives us a new heart to feel. Why? Because we need it. Because we don't always get what's happening in the world around us. We need some truth in advertising, right? It, it may not be new information. It may be something that we see in a, new, in a new way, but sometimes it's really good to be reminded of the truth and see through the message that the world is trying to sell us, right? There might be something else lying underneath. I ate 100 of these as a kid, and it's horrifying to me now. Um, <laughs> But as divine understanding progresses, we move away from, well, they're not quite getting it right, let's look at it differently, to some truly alarming things in terms of divine understanding. Truly alarming things. Let's look at at a couple. Um, We walk by faith and not by sight. This is good. Now, this is not believing stupid things with no evidence, right? It's trusting God. It's letting his love for us give us hope and credibility. See, we have a relationship with Jesus, with God, with one who loves us, and we have faith in him. We have faith that he's not going to mislead us because of how he came to us, gently, with power, with love. We can trust in that, and we can know that the things that he's telling us, the way that he's leading us, is going to lead us to a good place. And this passage bears that out. In 106 words, here in these three verses, six times, six times, it points back to God. It points back to Christ. We're in him. We're from him. We're born of God. It points us back to God. Jesus is our true north. And when we need understanding and when we have faith that can trump our circumstances and the things that we can see, we look to God and we trust that he is good and that he has our back, that he protects us that he gives us understanding, that he gives us identity, and we can walk in that. This is the divine understanding that continues on, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. Here's another one. We lose our life to find it. We give in order to get. We humble ourselves to be exalted. It's upside down from the way the world tells us we should live our lives. It's completely upside down, and yet it works. It works. I remember... Uh, my wife, 
uh, has just opened so many doors for me that are, that are fun. But she's, as you know, uh, in the Marine Band, and I know I say this a lot, and you'll hear me say it again. Um, but she's the harpist for the Marine Band, which is the president's own, which means she's the harp for the White House. It's really cool. So she gets to work with an organization that's literally the best concert band in the world. And because of that, they get to do cool stuff with big kids who are world famous. So she's actually had been di- conducted by John Williams. They did a thing with a famous uh, clarinetist recently. A few years ago, they did a concert with a guy named Phil Smith. Now, Phil Smith at the time, I think he's retired now, but at the time, he was considered to be either the best (laughs) or one of the best trumpet players in the world. Um, And I think Mark went to that concert with me. Uh, But he came and played with the Marine Band, and this guy was awesome. Oh, my goodness. His tone was butter. He just played the trumpet like I've never heard it played before. And he was amazing. One of the cool things about Phil Smith is how humble he was. How humble he was. He, the best trumpet player in the world, you think this guy would be a diva, but he wasn't. He wasn't at all. He was super sweet and super kind, um, and he was a Christian. And one of the things that he did when he was growing up, his dad uh, volunteered for the Salvation Army. And so from a very early age, Phil Smith would go out with his dad, and you see the, the little Salvation Army buckets even now in front of some retail stores around the Christmas season. Phil would come and play his trumpet um, as people would come and give donations. And you know what he does? Every year around Christmas time, he'll go find one of those places and he'll play the trumpet to this day. Best trumpet player in the world will go stand out in the cold and play for the Salvation Army for a few bucks here and there for a small act of kindness. What a heart. What a heart. The thing that, that blew me away about Phil Smith was I, I watched this guy play the trumpet and I mean, he, was, he just had powers. He was amazing. I mean, if he'd had a cape and flew around the room, it wouldn't have been any more amazing to me. But after the concert, we were waiting on Karen to get changed out of her uniform and, and, and meet with us. He kind of exited the same side I was on. And so I saw him. He was just walking out in the hall. A little girl ran up to him and said, oh, Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith. And he's like, oh, hi, how are you doing? She said, oh, you played so beautifully. And he's like, oh, thank you. And she said, yeah, I play the trumpet too. And she couldn't have been eight years old, you know. And he says, really, how many years have you played? And she said, oh, it's my first year. And he said, really, that's amazing. And he engaged with his kid. There was nobody around. It wasn't a photo opportunity. There was nobody around. I just kind of happened to be the fly on the wall to see, this, to see this interaction. And he just engaged with her. And he said, he said, what are you working on? And she says, oh, I'm doing the deep diver goes down to the blue sea. And he goes, oh, I hated that one. <laughs> she, said, she said, yeah, I don't like that one very much either. And he said, you know what? It gets better. He said, stay with it. It gets better. He said, there'll be, there'll be times when you really find that music can be a joy in life. She goes, okay, Mr. Smith, I'll, I'll stay with it. And just engaged and loved this little kid and, gave, and was generous with his time and his heart. And I'm going, okay, <laughs> this guy is the best trumpet player in the world. Not arrogant at all. Has time for a little ankle biter who's coming to chew on him a little bit. And I'm going, oh my goodness, God give us that heart. And, and you know what? I haven't stopped talking about him since then. This was seven or eight <laughs> years ago. He's so humble and yet he's exalted and he deserves to be exalted. It's, it's God's way of looking at things, right? <laughs> we lose our life to find it. We give to get. We're humble to be exalted. We are to love our enemies. <laughs> love those who are cruel to us. We show grace to the people who think differently from the way that we think. Um, and this is one of the ways that we can separate ourselves from the world system. This is one of the ways that we can strike a blow. Not that kind of blow, <laughs> but, but a good blow. Um, it, we can separate ourselves because guess what? The system of the world, the system of cosmos, it's cruel. It's closed. It's incredibly cold. 
precious little forgiveness happening in the world system. And remember the list of guys I read before, Weinstein, Spacey, you know, <laughs> people in the arts, high-level journalists, people in, at the highest levels of government getting taken down by their bad decisions, by behavior that all of us would call reprehensible. Um, <laughs> sexual misconduct, guess what? The cosmos, the world system right now, it's all over these guys. It's got a message for them. Message is clear. You're done. Go sit down. Back in your box, Kevin Spacey. You know, go sit down. Get off the stage. Now, shut up. Stop talking. You are no longer a person. You're dead to me, right? That's the message that the world has for them. The message is you're done. But God's plan is more than that for them. We have to see this. We have to see it. God's plan isn't for these guys isn't to break them, isn't to judge them, isn't to throw them away into the freaking garbage. It's not, it's not his plan. They have a calling, a holy calling, just like you do, just like I do. They are a Mago Day stamped in the image of God, just like we are. Jesus came and he gave his life. He laid down his life for every one of those guys, just like he did for us. And guess what? We want to get down off of the arrogant high horse. Everybody in this room, I bet all the money in my wallet versus all the money in your wallet, I bet everyone in this room has done something in our lives that we would not want published on CNN tomorrow, right? So who who are we to talk? Who are we to judge? Who are we to throw stones at these guys? We can look at behavior and say that is not the way God wants us to behave. But guess what? God wants to restore them, every one of them. My prayer is that God would send Christians to every one of these guys. Every one of them has somebody in their extended network, in their friends, in their family, in the people that they know on a first name basis that loves God, that has a true relationship with Christ. And I pray that God will put it on their heart to speak the truth to them, to challenge them if they need to be challenged, to talk to them about thinking differently, about how to live their lives, about how to prioritize things. But I pray that they would also love them. They would help them see restoration, to see a measure of healing, to see God, to see his purpose. Listen, these guys have done some awful things, but they aren't Dickens characters. They're people. They're people just like we are. The world system has no grace, precious little forgiveness, but Jesus is all about taking people that have been broken, even by, maybe especially by, their own bad decisions. And what does he do? He accepts us. He speaks redemption over us. He speaks grace over us. He changes us into something better. He takes something broken that's filled with darkness and he makes something beautiful. It's what he does. It's why he came. It's who he is. It's what Christianity is all about. It's the central truth of what we're doing here, right? World system would make them enemy number one. Satan's plan is to use them to wreck their lives and to divide men and women, right? Just like he's doing black and white and on so many other fronts right now. Listen, don't, don't, don't buy into it, right? Satan's program here is to create strife, destruction, mistrust, the whole thing. Don't buy into it. God has something so much better in mind. We can act in the opposite spirit, but we've got to see it through his eyes. We've got to have a divine understanding of what's going on. And let's pray. Pray for these men. Pray for these guys that they would do better and that God would make a path forward. And mark my words, a year from now, there'll be a few of them and you'll quietly read about some of the good things that they're doing that they turned a corner. It may not be public. It may not be in the forum that they're in now, but some of them will get captured 
<laughs> by the fall and God will speak into their lives and they'll do some amazing things. You, you watch and see, it'll happen. So we have the son of God has come. He was born again so that we could be born again. We come to a divine understanding because of what he does. He speaks a different truth over us than the world system. The third thing is this. It's a, it's a divine experience. See, divine understanding is good. Great even. I, I love the divine understanding part of it. It's just good stuff. But I think God moves beyond our mind into our heart, into an experiential thing. And that's the kind of thing that leads us to the depth of grace um, that I'm talking about with the real restoration that God can bring. How do we find it? How do we experience it? That sounds pretty good. I'd like some of that myself. How, how do I walk in that kind of grace? And even more than that, how do we extend that kind of grace to other people when they're attacking us and making fun of us and, and belittling us? How, how do we give people that kind of grace even when they are acting like our enemy? Understanding is critical, but I think it has to go deeper. It has to go beyond to a depth of experience. Watch this. In 1 John uh, 5, the last few verses. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. It's a cool progression. In these three verses, we're born of God. Then we're from him. Then we step into his understanding. <laughs> but then we are drawn into identity. Into identity. We're in him. Literally, literally, one with God. Isn't a fun fact. It's not a data point. It's experiential. It's, it's a depth of experience and nothing can beat the experience of something like this. Now, as an example of this, I could talk to you about Pillsbury. Pillsbury, <laughs> right? Um, there was a guy named Charles Alfred Pillsbury. In 1869, he borrowed money from his dad and his uncle, who was the governor of the state that he was in. He uh, bought a third of a flour mill. It wasn't doing very well. He was doing about 200 barrels of flour a day. But he came in, and he was a smart guy, and uh, was able to turn it around with some different process and some different things. He brought in some new technology. And within a few years, within the next year, actually, the mill was turning a profit and doing very well. It was doing so well that he was able to buy another mill. And he was able to buy a few more mills and he started getting things rolling. It wasn't too long before Charles Alfred Pillsbury had the largest flour mill in the world, right? And, and he built an empire uh, with flour and eventually made his way to little baked goods and into our homes. And you've probably heard of the Pillsbury Doughboy. You've probably heard of the Pillsbury Doughboy. And like, he, you know, he's done some things, the biscuits and the stuff and the cookies. Now I could tell you about uh, Charles Pillsbury becoming a household name. I could tell you about the delicious cookie. It's my favorite cookie at the moment. I could tell you about how soft it is. I mean, look, look at just how soft it is. It just comes apart. Oh, isn't that good? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of crumbly and delicious. I could tell you that it tastes pretty good. Mmm. Because, you know, watching me eat a cookie is almost as good as having one yourself. <laughs> so Evangeline loves that line, by the way. Um, and I could tell you that, well, that's pretty good. That's really delicious. And you could watch me eat the delicious cookie, and you could agree with everything I'm saying and say, yep, that's true. That's a good, that looks like a good cookie. Eric, <laughs> thanks a lot for not giving me one. Um, and you could understand that this is a delicious cookie. You could understand things about Charles Alfred Pillsbury, but how much better would it be if you could experience one yourself? So if we could, let's hand out the cookies. <laughs> because you see, I can invite you to try it. Taste and see, if you would, if the cookie is good, right? Because this kind of experience fills out knowledge 
in a way that looking at it, hearing about it, can never quite get to. It becomes real for us in a way that knowledge alone can never replace. Now, this kind of thing's pretty good with a cookie, as you're about to find out these cookies are actually really good. But it's even better, even better with the gospel. <laughs> See what God has done to the Christmas story. He, he's, he's engaged us in a way that the Son of God has come. It's a lovely thought in the Christmas season that when it comes to being born again, Jesus led the way, right? It's why the evil one can't touch us in an ultimate way. We're not Satan's to control anymore. Why? Because Jesus, even though he existed, he was born again. He came as a little baby. The Son of God has come. It changes everything. And it's a wonderful notion that divine understanding can open the eyes of our heart to see things in a different way, to understand that there's more than one way to look at life, that the things that, that we see that are harming people, that are just destroying so many lives right now, that we can see it clearly because of what God has spoken over us. We're not smart enough to get there ourselves, but he's given us his scripture. He's given us wonderful teaching. He's given us people to come and speak good things over our lives. And then there's this, the divine experience, right? We don't have to stop there. Be born again. We can step into his gospel in a new way and we can experience the depth of this in our heart in a way that makes it real for us, in a way that makes it easy for us to be generous. It makes it easy for us to turn away from distraction. It places him in the very center. And so I wanna, what I wanna ask you to do this morning is don't be a spectator anymore. Get up off the bench experience his love firsthand. Take it into yourself. Experience a radical change of heart, right? A revolution. That touches every part of your soul, every part. Come experience God. Come experience his grace directly. You'll never regret that you did. Let's pray.